0: So, I'm
1: Kevin, and uh, this is a highly emotional weekend for me. Um, I'm gonna just share, just really briefly, as I start here, I'm gonna show you a picture of my family. Many of you in here know me, some may be new and don't know who I am. Five years ago, uh, this summer, our family moved from this church, and Broadway is where we were living. And what you see behind me is the rest of my family Uh, that is Ruth and then Jasmine. And Jeremiah and me, only two of us are here today because my wife is speaking at a women's retreat. And so one of my biggest regrets for the weekend is that Ruth was not able to be here. Yesterday we got here, or Jeremiah and I got here in time to go to a funeral. And this is gonna sound really strange to some of you, but honestly, I didn't need any more from the weekend after that funeral, and I mean that in a good way to listen to four children talk about their mom and the godly legacy and heritage that she had left. I walked away from a funeral completely blessed. And those of you in this room who know Carolyn Houth, it's not a shock to you. So I went to a funeral yesterday, and actually when I walked in the door, Sharon Arbogast greeted me, and she said, welcome home, friend. (laughs) So this whole weekend is highly emotional for me. Some of you are sitting here going, dude, we don't know you, so get on with it. I will in just a second. So this is my family. I'm going to tell a story at the end about my daughter who is in college. My son is here with me up front. He's 13. He's still single, so we're glad to be here. Any of you got any prospects? You can let us know that. Yeah. It's also very tender for me because, oh, probably three months ago, I got a, a text message and a phone call one night from your worship pastor. And she said, hey, can we talk? They're from Pennsylvania, that's where I'm from now. I'm actually originally from there. And she said, what can you tell me about the Harrisonburg Church? <laughs> and I said, it's the single hardest reason when we were trying to like decide, are we going back to Pennsylvania? It's the single hardest thing we had to overcome. It wasn't a new job, it wasn't, it was this church and this church family, and you are going to be absolutely blessed. Now, you have been blessed because this beautiful family has shown up to lead you. Um, and I'm so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It was a summer. Uh, I was a junior in college, and I was in Ocean City, New Jersey, with two friends of mine. It had been a long, hot day. We were driving back. There was uh, a friend of mine, his name was Al, and there was a girl, her name was Sharon. Sharon and I went to college together, and Al was a good friend of mine. Al was from Philadelphia. Al, I'm saying this because Al was like a city guy. When I say a city guy, he, he was just, well, Al, Al wasn't exactly the friendliest of guys, Al wasn't like, I mean, I was close friends with him, but most of the time we were friends, you weren't really sure that you were friends. It was more or less like he tolerated me. So, while I knew I was probably one of, if not his closest friends, he just, you would never know that. He wasn't this warm, fuzzy, hey, we're from the south, he just this wasn't who he was. He had had a pretty rough background, and, and here we were, we were driving home from Ocean City, New Jersey, And I want to show you the car that we were driving in. This is a red Mazda protege. We were on Route 301 South, which is a four-lane highway, and Al was driving. Now mind you, hot day, we're exhausted, he's driving, and um, I'm sound asleep. My friend Sharon is in the back seat, this is her car. And I have no idea the details as to why he is driving her car, I'm sound asleep and she's in the back seat, other than I guess the two of us, were like, go ahead man, you can drive. Sound asleep, all of a sudden I'm awakened by this. Hey, we gotta switch seats, we gotta switch seats, we gotta switch seats right now. I'm half in a daze, in a fog, and I wake up to him yelling again, dude, we have to switch seats right now. And at this point, the car is now pulled off the side of the road. And I see the very familiar reflection of lights in the rear view behind us. And I'm like, "What? what's going on? Dude, I got tickets in Philly that haven't been paid. They're all parking tickets. I swear I'm not going to jail, but if you don't switch seats with me right now, I might go to jail. Sharon is now waking up. I'm still trying to waking up, and I'm like, what? Now remember, I told you how old I was, right? They say that your frontal lobal cortex doesn't fully establish itself until the age of 25. So, dummy me. I'm like, okay, because I want to help out my boy here. He's panicked, he's yelling, and we, before the police officer gets to his window, have switched seats. I go, I sit in the seat, police officer walks up, all of you can picture this. Here comes Clayton Justice, he walks up to the window, Al is now sitting there and Al is very nervous and not looking at me, looking straight out the side window. And Al, I actually sitting there realized he got out of the seat without like, undoing the seatbelt. I don't know how that happens. And I'm telling you right now, every detail that I'm sharing with you is true. Preachers get up here and they exaggerate. This is not an exaggeration. You do know that, right? Police officer walks up, window goes down, and here comes the question that you know is coming. Son, do you have any idea how fast you are going? Actually, no sir, I don't. Because about two minutes ago, I was sound asleep. So, of course, I didn't say that, and I'm like, license, registration, I give it to him, and I look at Al, Al is still looking out the window and does one of these. 85, 90? So I take the ticket from my friend. As the police officer leaves, he assures me, I'm gonna pay for this ticket, I promise you. Now we're headed back to my parents' house in Maryland. Remember, I told you, I'm like 20 or 21 years old. All of you that are adults are sitting here right now and you already know what's coming. You don't even know my dad, but you know when this conversation takes place, the first thing he's gonna talk about is you knucklehead. You can let him pay for the ticket, but guess what? Guess who's paying the insurance? And because I was a dumb college kid, I wasn't thinking of this. You know, I'm just thinking, okay, he's gonna pay the 500 and some dollar, whatever ticket that is, and he didn't go to jail. I mean, by the way, does this look like a car that should be driving 90? This This is not a 90 mile an hour. This is a Mazda protege, okay? I tell you all of that to set up the story that we're gonna look at here. I did for Al that day what I'm not sure Al would have ever done for me. Now I know we were friends, but I'm not sure that Al would have taken a 500 and some dollar ticket, he did pay it, and definitely not taken a hit on David Griffin's insurance. And that was an ugly conversation for a few minutes when we got back to Dave Griffin's house. Dave Griffin being my dad. We got there and Al had promised me, I'm gonna tell your dad. And after about 15 minutes, I couldn't take it any longer. And I was like, hey, dad, Al's got something to tell you. It was not pretty. I wanna talk to you about maybe, you don't have to be from church to answer this. If we were to say what are the top three or four most famous stories in all of scripture, I guarantee everybody in this room would name this story. Jesus' birth, crucifixion, Noah, and probably this one. Maybe David and Goliath. I don't know if any of them are more famous than this. I'm gonna be in Luke chapter 10. And I wanna set this up by explaining to you the writer, Luke. Luke is a Gentile and he's writing and talking to all, are you listening? People. He's not just talking to Jewish people. Luke writes more words in the New Testament than anyone else. Everyone thinks it's Paul, it's actually Luke. Luke writes to people in the margin. Luke includes more details about being, he was a physician, he includes more details about the wounded, the afflicted, he includes more stories about women, He includes more about Jesus' prayer life than any writer in the Bible. If you've never investigated the book of Luke, you should. This is a parable. It's a made-up story. So here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, and how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and I'm gonna come back to this do in this verse. Do this, and you will live. Every Hebrew boy knew these words. They were taught, like right after this child dedication, they heard these words, they would have said these words, they could, without even thinking, implicitly say these words. They weren't just words that they said, these were words that you don't just say these words, you're gonna live these words. You're gonna love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they just would, this, they didn't have to go look this up. It was a clear reference back to Deuteronomy 5 and Leviticus 19.18. But he wanted to justify himself, so he says to Jesus, are you picturing this? So who is my neighbor? Really what he's asking here, hey Jesus, who don't I need to see? Who don't I need to see? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Important key point. Remember, this is a made-up story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. The picture of this, honestly, would be this. This road would have been about 18 inches wide. How in the world do you walk by somebody 18 inches from you and act like you don't see them? Think about that. This isn't Route 81, 18 inches wide. The road was called the bloody path. There were real robbers on this road and even though he's made up this story, they knew that a road like this actually existed. So while Jesus paints a picture about a parable, there's real stuff in here that they would have been able to latch onto and identify with. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Meaning literally he would have had to step over, dude, to get by him. So to a Levite, like a junior priest, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. The elevation here, because of the way Jesus lays it out, was from higher to lower. And there was no excuse for a priest not to come and help this individual because the priest would have already been at the temple. Jesus leaves no details out here. He went from where the temple was to where this man is. So the priest would have already been cleansed, washed their hands. He could have, according to Jewish law, helped this individual. But a Samaritan, Jews hated Samaritans. All of the unrest with everything in our world that's related to race, all of it, can't begin to touch what this story is saying. We've seen a lot of racial unrest here recently, right? Some of you have lived through some bad racial times in this country. Even heavier here. These two groups of people, it was beyond animosity. I lack the vocabulary to explain to you how much these people hated each other. But a Samaritan, as he traveled where the man, a Jew, was, when he saw him, took pity on him. The hated half-breed Samaritans. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine Then he put the man on his donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. He bound up and bandaged the man's wounds. This is Luke, the doctor, present tense. Olive oil was most likely used to mollify or help the wound. It was an antiseptic, and Luke provides details that no one else would. The Samaritan, by the way, decides I'm gonna walk and I'm gonna let this guy ride. I'm gonna put him on my donkey. The next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Recently, I read an article that said, uh, excavation people found near the site where this story would have taken place, boards. And the boards had inscribed on them one thirty-second denarii. Meaning there probably was, not probably, there would have been a motel in this area and the charge would have been one thirty-second a denarii to stay for a night. So what happens here in this story, in this moment, is this gentleman provides a minimum based on that math, and I'm not great at math, two months worth of let this guy stay for that long, two months. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do, second time. Likewise, Samaritans and Jews hated each other the hero of the story, oh, what in the world, Jesus, is a half-breed Samaritan? What kind of story are you telling here, Jesus? Have you noticed that the man couldn't even say who the real hero of the story was? He just said, the one. the one who showed mercy. My question for you this morning, before I get to really my main point, is this. Who have you decided is not your neighbor? Who have you decided, like this person, with all that you have, all of your money, all of your education, all of your family, all of your church community, everything you got at your disposal, who have you decided, I don't need to see them and I didn't come to make you feel bad, I didn't come to like, I'm just asking you. In fact, you may be wondering why are you here this morning? Um, Months ago, Adrian shot me a text and I was sitting with a family from this church and he said, would you consider coming? And I was like, what? And then he called me while I was on vacation and he said, hey, have you thought about it? Have you prayed about it? And I said, sure, I'll do it. What are you looking for? And this is the truth. The night that I went to sleep after I said yes, I felt like, just woke up in the middle of the night, God said, this is what I want you to share on Sunday morning when you go to Harrisonburg. So if it's not what you came to hear, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's off my chest. This is a story where mercy says, I see you. Last night, if you were here, I showed a picture of Pittsburgh. And I showed you the fancy word for what it's called is the confluence. There are three rivers that come together. And out of Ephesians 2, I told you for this weekend that I was gonna talk about grace, mercy, and love. Where they all meet. Today is mercy. Today is mercy. And mercy says, on some level, I see you. In verse 28 of this story, The word do here, the Greek means a one-time act of commitment. In verse 37, the word do changes. It's a lifestyle. Are you listening? It's a lifestyle commitment. It is a moving, growing. This is who we are, and this is who we will be moving forward. So we're not going to miss anybody. We're not going to look past people. That's not who we are. That's not the call of what Jesus is talking about. This story is so impactful, think about this. This is a Bible story from thousands of years ago that's made up and every state in our country has a law based on a made up story. Most countries have a law called the Good Samaritan law so that if a person would show up and they would want to help a person in need, you were protected even though you may not have the proper medical credentials to do so. Is that amazing? The good Samaritan law. Kevin, that's really nice. That's a great story. We're really impressed that you knew one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. Let's get to a more modern story. It was 1996, it was Ann Arbor, Michigan. And there was to be a KKK rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan on a Saturday. Now, as with any rally like this of this magnitude, there will always be protesters that come in opposition of the rally. You and your state have experienced this. Where there are protesters, there is a rally going on. So there's a rally that day for the KKK in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which, by the way, is a pretty diverse city, and many would say, why in the world would they even allow this? But by law, by rights of this country, you're allowed to do this. There was a group that was in one section. They were the clans group. There was another group, and they were located within eyesight of the clansmen that were rallying. They were sectioned off. In fact, there was a fence that was provided. And there was a man who showed up that day to this and he was supposed to be a part of the Klan group. His name was Albert McKeel. This is a picture of Albert McKeel. Albert McKeel on that day in 1996 got confused about where he should be, which I know sounds crazy. But Albert got confused and someone from the protest group yells out because he gets lost for a few minutes There's a Klansman, there's a Klansman. Now they knew that there were Klansmen in the area, they knew that they were showing up to protest, but he got in the wrong section of where he should be. And the people went crazy from the protest group. They broke through the barricade, there was very little if any police presence there that day. And Albert McKeel, as you can see, wearing his Confederate flag with his swastika, Tattoo on his arm, takes off running. Now this man does not look like a runner. This man is in his late 50s, he's not in great shape, and Albert McKeel doesn't run very far before Albert McKeel falls. And the protesters show up, and they begin to beat Albert McKeel. There are two other individuals there that day at this protest rally. One is a photographer, his name is Mark Bruner. He's 20 years old. And he's standing there and he doesn't know what to do. He cannot believe that his college has assigned him the task of going to take pictures of this event. And he said in his own words, and I quote, if I had not been there with my camera with me, I would not believe what would have taken place when I was photographing all that happened. In fact, he took this picture. He took the next picture. There's also a 20 year old girl there that day and her name is Keisha Thomas. And so while all of this is taking place and people are losing their mind, Mark Bruner, the 20 year old photographer said, I did the only thing I knew to do and that was to continue taking pictures because there was no way I was gonna physically be able to stop what was happening in this moment. So I just took pictures but out of the crowd came running one young African American young lady, 20 years old, Keisha Thomas. And this is a picture of Keisha and what she did. And Keisha Thomas comes running out and while everybody is beating this man to death, basically, with placards, think about that. They're beating the man with placards while they're protesting. Keisha Thomas screams, no, no! And Keisha Thomas takes her body and she lays it across Albert McKeel. And this is the next picture of what it looks like. In fact, I brought another one with me. I brought a placard. Keisha Thomas, a 20-year-old girl, runs out in the crowd of complete, total chaos, madness, hatred, confusion in 1996 in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she throws her body across a man, are you listening? Who would never have done for her what she does in this moment for him that day. Mercy says, I see you. Now everybody saw Albert, but I don't think anybody in this moment saw Keisha Thomas coming from the middle of the crowd to run out and lay her body across this man. The man never says thank you. In fact, he ends up dying and years later, his son walks up to Keisha Thomas in a coffee shop and he approaches her and he says, you don't know who I am, but I came to thank you because I don't think my dad ever did. I'm Albert McKeel's son and I want to thank you for the mercy you showed dad on that day in her own words she said it was as if two angels lifted me up by my arms and laid me across this man wow mercy mercy came running in the form of Keisha Thomas I want to close with this story that's a little more close to home for me. And you, hopefully, I can do this and make it through without crying. I was crying when I was typing my notes this week for this story and you're gonna say, dude, you're the biggest baby I am. Smaller scale. I have a daughter who three weeks ago this weekend we took to college in Indiana. We were leaving on a Thursday And on Wednesday, she's a college basketball player. On Wednesday, she said to me, hey, can we go shoot one more time? So this is where we ended up. This is a picture of Jazz. And it's just me and Jazz, and we're in the back of a middle school gym in of Pennsylvania. She's going to college in Indiana at a small school that many of you would have never heard of. And so it's just me and her, it's five o'clock, school hasn't started, there's no one else around, it's me, Jazz, this machine, and three basketballs. It's one of my favorite things as a dad. I mean, I'm her dad, but I've coached her, I mean, it's been 18 years, and here we are the day before she's gonna leave, and we're just (laughs) shooting baskets. We're not in the main high school gym. I wanna put this in perspective for you. Where we live, there are 85 colleges and universities within less than one hour of where we live. There's over 300 in the state of Pennsylvania. While we're shooting, she can't see this. She's facing where you're looking. Um, In walks a girl among five or six or seven other kids and they just sort of meander in the back of the gym. I'm looking in that direction, Jazz is shooting, she can't see this, and in walks a girl and she's wearing this T-shirt. This is the college where Jazz is gonna go to school. So I, being the shy person that I am, I immediately walk down to the corner of the gym and I ask this young girl, without trying to scare her to death, where did you get this T-shirt? And she said, I don't even know, actually. She said, I I have some relatives in Indiana, and I I don't know, I think somebody just gave me this shirt. So I go back down, Jazz is still shooting, she still hasn't seen this girl, and I said, hey Jazz, you're not gonna believe this, but there's a girl down here, and she's wearing an Indiana Wesleyan t-shirt. About that time, the girl comes walking down, and now Jazz can see her. We introduce ourselves, I said, hey, this is my daughter, she's going to Indiana Wesleyan, and We're just like overwhelmed that you would walk in here the day before we're leaving, less than 12 hours away, and you would be wearing this T-shirt. And the girl walks off, and Jazz, with her eyes now teary-eyed, looks at me and says, wow, I guess God just wanted to give us one more reminder. I see you, and I got you. We go the next day, we drive to Indiana, and it's now Friday, Saturday's coming. Saturday's the day, and most of you who have already been through this, you're like, come on, man, get over it. I haven't gotten over it yet, sorry, I'm three weeks in. It's still raw. Saturday comes, we show up on Saturday morning, and I thought every college did this. I mean, I worked at a college for 13 years, but they didn't do this at the college I worked at. And so we show up, she goes to the dorm room, and out in front of the dorm is the football team and the soccer team. There's like 600 and some freshmen that are moving into various dorms. And there's this girl, and she walks up, and she takes this Post-it note. It's pink, and she puts it on our windshield. Here it is. And she says, Jazz, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Indiana West you don't need to get out of this car. She said, we're gonna take everything in your car, whatever you tell us, we're gonna put it in your room in one minute. You stay right here, and when we're done, you're gonna go park your car over there. And they did, including my wife's makeup kit, which we didn't tell them to put in the college room. (laughs) Everything went. And I'm dreading the rest of this day. We go up, everything's in the room. Now again, you may sit here and say, Kevin, you're into coincidence, that's fine. You can believe in coincidence. I believe in a God who reminds us in the smallest of details that I see you. And so the rest of the day goes on, it's Saturday and the parents are supposed to leave and that night we leave and I am sobbing, I am crushed. The coolest thing happened too on a side note We go up to the room, we're on the third floor, as you can see, and we're adjusting the room and moving stuff out, and the first parent I meet from across the hall walks out and he's wearing a Philly shirt, and we embraced. No, we did not. That would have been a little weird, but I did. I looked at this guy and I'm like, hey man, great shirt, and he said, are you from Philadelphia? I said, I am, it's so good to see you, nine hours from Philadelphia, the first parent The day goes on, it's time for us to leave, I'm sobbing, Ruth my wife is crying, we get in the car, we're crying harder, Jeremiah is crying and I'm not sure he even likes her. And we drive part of the way back because we gotta stay at a hotel. We gotta go the rest of the way back the next day. We get to the hotel that night. I walked in the hotel. I never even gave the guy my credit card. Obviously, we had a reservation. He knew we were coming. We got there late. I walked in and the gentleman says, here's your room, Mr. Griffin. We walked over to the elevator and the tears begin to flow again because I had given my wife the card. Here's where we were staying. We were staying at the Marriott in room 323 and God, in that moment, as silly as it may seem, said to the Griffin family, I see you and I got you. And you can rest in my nail-scarred hands because I will order your steps if you will trust me in me oh hallelujah somebody came this morning who needed to hear about mercy and the fact that you can rest and trust in a God who does see you stand with me I don't know who that was for But I do want to, and I'm not gonna walk out of here until I do this, I do want to invite you this morning. I've no idea. I know many of you, many of you I don't know. What you're going through, I don't know what you've been through. But I promise you this, on the authority not of Kevin Griffin, but from experience and more on the power and the authority of God's word, that mercy says, I see you and I'm here. So I don't know what your issue is this morning, but I do want to pray over you. But I'm going to invite you to come, and you may just want to come and stand. You may come and want to kneel, and they're going to sing a song of response that we would give gratitude to Him. But somebody near, He's you know I don't I don't know who it is, but I want to pray for you, pray over you, and remind you, mercy sees you. If you feel the Lord tugging on your heart in any way, you should just come. You don't even have to wait till they get halfway through the song. Just come. Let's sing.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at C-O-T-N-A-Z dot org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, Please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.